This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, ice houses blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins, the weekly true crime comedy podcast where I sit down with my dad and we talk about stuff that he lived through while he was on the police force. Dad, is it good to be back from Queensland or are you getting withdrawals already? I'm very, very happy to be back in Sydney. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be talking to you. I can just sense that yep. all our listeners all over the world mm-hmm. are moderately excited. You want that kind of moderate, you know, that moderate level of just a slight kind of anticipation. Nothing too big, nothing too major. Mm. Just to, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be so um, conceited to say incredibly excited, but deep down, <laughs> yeah. I hope everyone is very excited because you, 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 you cut me short and rightfully so. You had to actually stop me um, from talking at the end of last week's podcast, because I was getting so excited and so carried away. It's good, but it was... the chapter, yeah, the chapter is basically a cliffhanger, and you just started very naturally wanting to roll onto the next part of the story, and I mm. had to go, "Hey, Dad, that's that's to be continued." So mm. I'm, ass- I'm assuming there's people out there who are still just hovering over their phones, listening to the podcast, waiting for us to continue uh, with chapter 29, which is called "The Boys Are Back in Town," which is kind of, I guess. First of all, it's a very dopey song reference. Secondly, the, if there are villains in Loose Units, if there are actual kind of recurring villains, um, and I say villain in a kind of nuanced sense, I guess it's the detectives because they sort of keep coming in and cutting your grass. And you, at this point in your career, really wanted to be a detective. Do you remember what it was about detectives that made you want to kind of jump into their shoes? Um, I mean, is was it a TV show or a movie you saw when you were a kid? Did you kind of like what was it that made you want to kind of solve crimes before you joined the police force? When I started at North Sydney, uh, we used to go out and do tin pot accidents. 
What do you mean? Like shitty little pranks. You know, no person injured, just shit. Noise complaints, crap. Yeah. Even though I fully understand the gravity of a... Uh, well, last week, as you talked about, you know, kind of fermenting... We need to come up with some sort of cocktail that replicates the the ammonia and the fishiness of John's kind of concoction that was washed away before it could actually, you know, do its dirty business. Mm. Someone, I think, suggested that you should have put it in their lawnmower instead, like, replaced the fuel in their lawnmower with your kind um, of... Yeah, yes and no. I, I kind of think that's perhaps pushing it a little bit because that kind of can ruin their mower. Oh, Dad. So, no, but I didn't want to sort of commit a criminal offence. Um, I think... No, I, here's what I think. I think when the madness descended in that moment, you're probably glad that you, you know, didn't commit a criminal offence. Mm. I mean, yeah. Look. I'm, yeah. Oh, the things that went through my through my mind in Adult. those tortured evenings. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, noise... Yeah, so noise complaints. Uh, noise complaints mm, so we just, and... Yeah, and, and just basically, I mean, everything that came our way but we always whenever you'd go to a break enter and steal yeah. particularly a uh, an, an interesting break enter and steal or, or where there was a, a trail because policing is about you know police work essentially is trying to figure out what happened how did we get to this point yeah. what can we do are there offenders at large what's their mo modus operandi i mean and i I won't say that I was affected by any particular, for, for example, TV shows. However, mm. I did literally worship the ground <clears throat> that Clint Eastwood worked on or even wa- walked on. So Dirty Harry, you're talking Dirty about, Harry, yeah? he was an idol of mine. And I, in fact, just a few weeks ago, Christine and I watched one of the classic Dirty Harry films. And I just loved his way of dealing out summary justice to scumbags, which flies in the face <laughs> of, of everything actual... our, uh, of everything our judicial system actually stands for. Because and no you. man, I mean, you're not yeah. a vengeful guy. You no, no, no. I'm, but no, but occasionally, yeah, you can vicariously transfer your feelings mm-hmm. and emotions through characters on the big screen. So. I guess something I would ask you, and this is this is not coming from a judgmental place. I'm genuinely curious. When you saw Dirty Harry exacting summary justice on extremely bad people, mm. right? I mean, pulling his gun at a moment's notice, threatening to shoot, coming up with cool one-liners, mm. and you know, rocking around. What city was he? Was Los it San Angeles. Francisco? Los, Los San Angeles. Francisco. No, you're right, yeah. Paul. San Francisco. Okay. Because it was a Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. So he's running around and he's doing the job of solving crime, but he's got that kind of edge. Now, a lot of these action films like Dirty Harry came out basically post-Vietnam War as a kind of reaction to anti-war films that were coming out during that time. So it was like this swing uh, that happened during the kind of Ronald Reagan years where American cinema was like, you know what? We've done the hippie thing. Fuck that. It's time to kind of buckle down and be pro-gun and sort of find these anti-hippie heroes who are like not afraid to swing their dicks around a bit, right? They're not bad guys, but they are willing to kind of push boundaries a little bit. And, I mean, Clint Eastwood obviously has played that archetype a lot. I mean, he was the man with no name in the um, Sergio Leone Westerns, who is kind of the drifter who wanders into town and helps people, but does so in a kind of cool, slightly shonky way, right? That's mm. that's kind of the Clint Eastwood archetype. Um, mm. If you... I mean, 
Did you ever see any Dirty Harry style policing in the police force that you thought was kind of cool? And I'm talking, you know, I'm not talking just like beating a suspect up. I mean, actually doing a job, showing initiative, but doing it in a way that seemed kind of Dirty Harry-esque. Um, I guess I saw it quite regularly, but I didn't necessarily agree with it. Right. Because I didn't think anyone was cool enough. <laughs> the- <laughs> so if they'd looked like Clint Eastwood and rocked the suit a bit better, you think it would have worked? And also been clever and smart and, you know, and sort of a role model. Right, right. But um, look, I don't think when I first joined the police force, I remember at the academy we had a detective sergeant from the homicide squad um, I have mentioned it to you before, you and the listeners, yeah. where he came out and he sat in our classroom and he he demonstrated his basic photographic memory for remembering statements and what I, he did. Yeah. Have, we, have, we, have we ever touched on this? No, I, I don't think I don't think you have. No. Okay. Well, what he did, he um, look. It was it was one of those moments. I, I was sort of starry eyed and super excited. Yeah. Like just absolutely. I, I I think it's fair to say that for some time I actually lived. For the police force, yeah, I just found it enthralling. You sound like a fan. You sound like someone who no, I was that, stoked. Yeah, at that time was sort of just a real fan. And of- I really, I just thought, fuck, here's an opportunity to really get out amongst it. And I, I know it sounds corny, but I've I had a discussion with someone yesterday up here in Sydney mm-hmm. about the types of people tend to join these types of organisations. And I believe that in the beginning, most people that join these organisations actually, whether they acknowledge it or not, do have somewhere deep in their DNA a desire to help people. Sure. Uh, and also that's that's particularly in relation to medicine. In fact, it's just dawned uh, on me as to who I was speaking to. And I was speaking to Tobias... And Anne, yep. uh, Anne being your sister, mm-hmm. and her partner is an oncologist in Switzerland. Yep. And we were talking about this very topic because I simply said to him last night that I could not possibly, uh, I, I could not be a doctor. I just couldn't possibly deal with people's um, medical conditions and seeing between 10 and 20 per day. Yeah. Oh, and that's right. And now, actually, what... what triggered the conversation last night is that we were having a nice conversation um Anne and tobias called uh to say hi to christine for mother's day yeah and then i was talking about something um that had happened on the news and then Anne said to me oh you know tobias um monday which is kind of today ish in switzerland yeah he has to see an eight-year-old girl who's got um you know, cancer. And I just, that sort of sent me into a whole um, sort of sort of sense of deep admiration, but also, you know, I just, I'm not cut out. Um, I've always, always felt that. Every time I go to a doctor's surgery and I sit there with, with all the people in the waiting room, I just think, golly, and I, I think it takes a really special person and nursing too. I, I, but that's I'm getting off track a little bit, but as I do. Um, but 
you know, we, we draw um, we draw inspiration from people. And it's funny you go through life and people that have inspired other people may not necessarily know they've done so. And quite often when they interview famous people on on sort of like Parkinson and, you know, those types of shows, yeah. invariably within the interview, generally early on, they talk about who inspired you at school. You know, what teachers. And I know, Paul, that you... Um, you were inspired by some of your great teachers. Yeah, if, but sometimes, um, well, in the in the acknowledgements at the end of loose units, I actually thank I think four specific teachers uh, because yeah, I kind of worshipped these people growing up to the point where, Dad, you know this. When I got to Melbourne, I briefly, briefly considered uh, becoming a teacher. I enrolled in a post grad uh, dip ed, and I actually went to orientation. I was over at I think Monash. Uh, I mean. But again, I, I got there and I thought, I, I'm not cut out for this. I admire the profession and I really respect people who have what it takes to teach. Um, but I think I, I yeah. think you would have made an incredible teacher. Oh, bless you. Really. Um, but anyway, this, uh, this detective sergeant from the Homicide Squad, I mean, just to mention the word homicide is, it's exciting. Yeah. It's probably uh, the pinnacle of detective work within... Any police force, and there's one of them sitting in your classroom showing off his skills. At the front, right? yeah, he 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 asked um, our teacher, our yeah. instructor, yeah. to hand him a an A4 sheet mm-hmm. that was covered in text. He read this text, and this was not a staged event, might I add. It was there was, it was not a party? Oh, okay, it kind of was a bit of a party trick. Yeah, but it, but it was it wasn't magic. It was it wasn't staged. Um, it was real, and he simply read um, the one page of information. I don't know how many words are on a page. Mm. He then handed the um, the A4 sheet of paper to our instructor. Our instructor walked away, and then this guy recited verbatim what he'd read. Now, that just... Our class were in awe, and... Um, that's an example of someone coming into a class and he told us that in very, very big um, murder trials where he may be in the witness box for, for days, yeah, that he used to have someone at the back of the court with a copy of the statement that this detective sergeant had made. And these statements, some of them were massive. yeah, And he would simply begin... Uh, reciting his statement without the statement in front of him because you weren't allowed to refer to the statement. It was all based on memory. Uh-huh. And he had this person at the back, another police officer, sitting discreetly with the actual statement in all its its accuracy and the many, many pages. And this is pretty amazing, Paul. The, the guy at the back, when he came to the bottom of the statement, the first page, for example, he would nod to the homicide detective who was in the witness box and that nod signified to mentally turn the page how good's that right i mean that's just these are feats of and that kind of made me think as a 21 year old shit this is this is intense but if i'm going to aim you know aim high and you know i i always used to think that and i was right i mean the detectives would get called in and they'd kind of get all the all the serious work, 
like the meaty investigations. Yeah. And they'd get to follow through and really do proper detective work. Would you say that you would have, at that point, defined... I mean, if there's a sliding scale of real proper what you would regard as like like A-grade police work and then at the lower end, you've got, you know, traffic infringements or whatever. Would you say that detective for you at that point was the kind of goal, was the pinnacle of police work? Without a doubt. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's, and I also li- I liked the idea of wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though that's weird because I... I'm Don't like them. Seen, I, I just feel slightly, you know uncomfortable i'm not i i used to have to wear a suit and tie yeah when i was in the work cover authority and i didn't really like it maybe um, I, see i think when we did the loose units photo shoot i took you across to um i don't want to plug them but i took you across to a really really nice store that i frequent for my suits and we mm. bought you this incredible kind of like checked blazer that you've worn if, if people have seen the promo shots that's the jacket was dad was wearing and you wore it on stage for our event with Acast over in Brisbane last week. And mm. you looked scrummy. It was fantastic. So, I mean, I'm just picturing a young John who wants to wear suits and admires the detectives and wants to be part of that organization. Mm. I feel like, do you think your aversion to suits is what I'm trying to ask in a roundabout way? Do you think your present day aversion to suits has anything to do with the fact that you're view of detectives also fell a couple of notches as you mm. saw successive instances of, you know, like corruption. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And also, you know, when I walk in the city, in yeah. Sydney, which I do a lot, mm. and I see people in suits, uh, there's a word that comes to mind straight up, and that is the word boring. Oh, okay. And uh, just boring. And, and it, you know, they kind of freak, like to sort of go, whoa, over the top with a, maybe a colourful tie, but... No, nah, it doesn't cut the mustard with what about, me. What about my suits with the kind of, you know, the floral Yeah, but they're, 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 they're quirky right, right. and classy. Yeah. But um, a couple of things that I did also like about the detectives, mm-hmm. I loved the fact that they got around in unmarked cars. Sure. And perhaps I envisaged being able to be the passenger in a detective's car and I'd be the guy that would wind the window down and get the magnetic light... And stick it on the roof. Yep. Which is what they used to do. Um, and, 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 and have sirens and kind of get along through the traffic in an unmarked car. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they had different notebooks to General Duties Police. They had um, an office. They had their own desk, like permanent desk. Yeah, yeah. They had what was called a duty book. Mm-hmm. Every single detective had and may still have what's called a duty book, which is a fairly big book compared to an official notebook. Mm-hmm. And in that, it's everything that they did every single day they worked in fairly minute detail for lots of reasons because these could be called and used in evidence. And, um, you know, it was kind of they used to work pretty cool hours uh and I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I thought it was fairly cool the way they got to dine out at all the restaurants, at least in North Sydney, for free. What? Yeah, yeah they used to hang out. They, what they used to do, the afternoon shift detectives at North Sydney, common knowledge, and I'm not sort of speaking out of school here, but they'd come down to the police station at probably about 5 o'clock. So they'd started at 3. They were working 3 till 11. 
This is the afternoon shift detectives. Uh-huh. They're, they're in a different building. They'd cruise down, dressed nicely. They would grab a tiny piece of paper. And I mean a tiny piece of paper, maybe yeah. four times the size of a postage stamp, if anyone knows what a stamp is these days. People and they would write, they'd just simply write a phone number, right. a landline. Yeah. There were no mobiles. They would write a landline. They would just discreetly slide it across the counter, super cool, and you knew that that meant that was the phone number because on many, many, many occasions over the years, I would phone these numbers and it was always... Good evening, sir. You phoned the Mossman Steakhouse. But they were always restaurants. Because you knew that the detectives, that's where they'd just hang out, have a wonderful meal, never pay for it, and that would be their base for the evening. Oh, they'd work from the restaurant, basically. Yeah. And, right, uh, okay. And, so- and, you, and, and you had to be really, really sure, Paul, yeah. that when you called the D's out, uh-huh. it had to be for a good reason. Otherwise, they would really get the shits, and they were often inebriated. But that's a whole, not, whole, you know, other story. Okay, so you've pointed at you've. Okay, so you've painted a fairly, you know, um, exciting but shallow portrayal of these of these detectives. Now, from where we left off last week, you and Julian were about to basically get this guy, this jewel thief, this meek guy. This, you kind of almost tricked him into giving a list of all of the places he'd robbed, what he'd stolen, you'd gotten the items out of his crotch, and then you were going to get him to basically sign a statement. And he was going to go and talk to a lawyer, and you kind of talked him out of it. At which point, the detectives burst in and kind of fucked that up, right? I mean, did they sort of blow it for you? What happened next? The um, the sergeant in charge... At Mossman, because we'd yeah. taken this guy back to Mossman. We didn't want to take him back to North Sydney because it was frenetic and we wanted to sort of keep things under wraps for as long as we could because we understood and, and we knew. Because I think in last week's episode, Paul, did I explain that we took the guy back out on the road? You said you, uh, I think you said you were going to. So you basically did a tour and got him. Mm, to- we did a tour. Right, okay. And uh, we took copious notes. And so. Julian was junior to me, so he was driving, and um, so I'm the senior man, and we had the guy, um, I may have been sitting in the back with him, yeah, probably was, and we, he just basically showed us every single place he'd broken into, mm. and it was it was thrilling. And so, did he, was he kind of going, all right, I stole the tiara from there, yep. and the yep. bracelet from there, okay. Yeah, everything. And That's giving crazy. us the addresses. It was phenomenal. It was, uh, I thought it was pretty well a once in a lifetime for me. It was mm. definitely very exciting. And, and, and Julian and I were all too aware that this was going to be, this was going to give us such kudos and credibility. Now, why did you want, okay, why did you want that level of credibility at that point for having solved a crime like this? Now, at this point, you wanted to be a detective. I assume that's why, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, okay. um, you know, we were already starting to... A couple of the senior detectives, they'd come in on the day shift, um, like the very senior detectives from North Sydney, and they began to see a bit of a recurring pattern that was Julian and myself were involved in a lot of crazy arrests. But we also used to get involved in arrests that involved fairly complex charges because we found it challenging, Yeah, where we had to refer to sometimes obscure 
parts of the Crimes Act. Um, and we were just, God, we, we were sort of prepping for um, the ultimate goal, which was to be become a detective. And um, it was it was really good. And this was this was going to be a real. If you if you wanted to go to a job interview with a, you know, with an example of something that. Um, you know, you you had done like they said. Look, you know, why should you be considered for detectives? You know, what what do you bring to the to the table? This was a this was a big big event, and it was a major arrest, and it was it was very very significant, and there was a lot of like the monetary value of this jewelry was in the hundreds of thousands. It was just staggering, and uh, but the sergeant at Mossman he. He kind of was feeling that maybe, and rightfully so, look, he knew that at some point the detectives had to be called in. He'd already cut us a bit of slack by letting us take the guy back out on the street, which is fairly unorthodox for general duties police to be able to do. Right. But he really liked us and he trusted us. But at a certain point, he would have had to have made the call. Otherwise, he's he's setting himself up to be... Uh, you know, admonished, and uh, and he's 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 the officer in charge, and he's got protocol to follow, and rightfully so. So he, um, unbeknownst to us, he contacted the detectives at North Sydney, and bearing in mind that this had been a major event in the preceding hours, I guess by then it was around about one o'clock, mm-hmm. one p.m. on a weekday, and no one knew. I mean, we all knew there'd been numerous break and enters and lots and lots of gear stolen with high high value, but no one knew that whilst all this was happening, two fairly junior police officers had the guy at the station and had also taken him back out and brought him back. And, and it was really exciting. But at a certain point, the, the officer in charge just thought, shit, you know, you can't just let John and Julian just keep going. Yeah. And um, he, he notified the detectives and they came over. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
and they just barged into the room and we're sitting with the offender we had everything laid out on this massive table in piles I reckon we had about maybe 20 maybe 15 to 20 piles and next to each pile was a slip of paper with the address for every single house. And how much how much um, monetary value was tied up in these jewels? Um, oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay. Hundreds of thousands. Okay. There was there was there was one particular ring. Yeah. Uh, that had a um, because you know I've been dealing in antiques mm. for forty years, so I can really look at it very clinically now, which is even more horrific when I realised the value. But this, that there was a ring there, a um an emerald ring with diamonds and the emerald would have been for anyone that knows anything about the size of ring stones in terms of carrots this one would have been maybe 20 carat mm. emerald um worth a worth a stagger, staggering sum yeah worth you know worth more than some real estate back then and uh, but that was just one of many and um I mean, this guy was an expert, remember? Remember that, that, that jewellery was in his DNA. Yeah. Uh, he came from a very wealthy family. The, the dad had a, uh, a current um, high-end jewellery jewelry shop. So this, this guy. And he had watches too. And just look at the, you know, the value of some of the watches. The, you know, just really valuable. Yeah. Uh, he didn't just sort of reach out with one arm and, you know, like in a, in a movie and just open up you know, a striped bag and just sort of scoop everything into the bag and like a swag and throw it over his, you know, shoulder and then go to the next heist. Yeah. That's not how he operated. He, he, he was really very choosy, very discerning. Um, and these detectives walked in with utter contempt and basically looked at us and thought, guys, and they were quite rude, right? Um, which is unfortunate. And... The one thing we had not allowed this guy to do, we wanted to get the whole thing stitched up absolutely perfectly and we were just about to get the confession, the admission in writing as to what he'd done. Mm -hmm. And he asked, this guy then turns around to the detectives, the guy that we'd been sort of nurturing for several hours and he says to the detectives, could I please make a phone call? And... Julian and I thought, shit, this is the last thing that we want to happen at this stage because you just don't know what the person on the other end of the phone, he's entitled to make a call. Yeah. And they said, yeah, no worries. And But we wanted to sort of get a sense of what was going to unfold next. And he was given the phone and he called his dad and the dad said to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, um, son, you're not to make any statement and you're not to say anything else. And the father didn't know at that stage just how much amazing information we had on him. And the detectives, in, in a microsecond, basically shut the case down um, in terms of admissions, which we felt were very, very important. Right. And the detectives then... I mean, these, these detectives never said thanks to... Shit, I almost said his name, to Julian and myself... <laughs> They never said thank you. Right. They just basically, you know, there were, 
Uh, I know I've said this many times, listeners, but the detectives were known back then. I don't know what they're known as now. And this is a generalisation, but the they were called, and this is from a general duties perspective, but they were called glory boys. And that's... And there's a reason for that. Um, they'd kind of trample their way in. They'd, I guess they'd get all the kudos. Now, I'm not saying that you want kudos, but it's nice to get a pat on the back occasionally for hard work. And this yes. was really, really good police work. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they took these, uh, uh, took the guy back to North Sydney Police Station, which we weren't privy to. And they charged him under the Crimes Act with, you know, various offences involving theft. Yep. And as fate would have it, Julian and I... This is slightly this slightly differs to how it is in the book, Paul, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, but the well, way you wrote is just magical and great and got great, you know, gusto and, and it's very powerful and exciting. But if I can kind of just maybe steer slightly as to what actually happened. Well, yeah, because no, so certain things had to be changed for, you know, dramatic yeah, no, tension I, and to create a narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, please, um, give, us the, give us the skinny. Okay, so um, the guy was kept in custody yeah. overnight. So, listeners, I can now say to you all and Paul that this offence occurred on a Friday mm-hmm. because on the Saturday morning... Julian and I reported to North Sydney Police Station for the day shift, 7am till 3pm. The guy that we had arrested, bearing in mind we didn't charge him, that's the other thing. Normally speaking, if you arrest someone, generally speaking, I mean, obviously, if if you arrest a rapist or a murderer, Mm -hmm. you don't get to charge them, obviously, because they're going to be interrogated by detectives, obviously, because it's an incredibly involved process and it has to be absolutely airtight that's the other thing if it's not airtight uh it'll be thrown out of court right so that's where the detectives come in that's where they use their expertise and the record of interview and they just they stitch it up so well Mm. um we appreciated that we didn't get that opportunity to charge even though it was fairly you know the way we were sort of progressing it was very very sort of open and shut and but we didn't know this guy had been kept in. So bail was refused on the Friday. Mm-hmm. And then because it was North Sydney, they had what was called a bail court, which means people that are arrested and charged and there's a weekend situation. They don't want to keep them in custody too long because, you know, they like to... You're entitled to get out of jail if for, for lots of reasons. You're entitled to get bail, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But, you know, bail can sometimes be fairly drawn out in terms of figuring out what the bail should be, for example. And we weirdly, we were driving 6-1, which was the big paddy wagon, and we went. We were told that we were going to take this guy, which was the guy we'd arrested the day before, to Manly Court. So we drove him to Manly Court for a bail determination. And we looked at the charge book. So when the detectives took this guy back to the detective's office, which was up the road in Babcock House, they then went through all their processes. They then, when it came time to charge him, 
they then take him down, handcuffed. They kind of walk him down down the Pacific Highway for maybe 150 metres. Yeah. They, they generally would come in the front door of the police station. They'd sort of lift up that sort of swing arm thing, go underneath, go into the charge room, speak to the sergeant, who is the, the duty sergeant, and it's the duty sergeant that makes the decision to accept the charge. So they're going to charge him, and then the sergeant opens up the big book, the charge book. The offender is then photographed, fingerprinted, and, you know, we, we go through all the procedures. And it's he be, he's sort of going through the process, and they then get these big stamps, and every single charge, every offence has got its own stamp, and, and they'd have this big... They, these were big, big, chunky stamps, and they'd press the stamp down into the charge book, and they'd enter all the details. It was, it was quite fascinating. Mm. And so that would have happened on the Friday. He would have then bail refused. He would have been put in the... Uh, in the cells out the back at North Sydney Police Station, knowing that on the Saturday morning he would get a chance to go to court to have his bail d- determination as to whether or not he should be allowed to be, you know, mm-hmm. be bailed until he would appear in court, which would be North Sydney Court as well. But because it was going to be a really, really major, serious offence, he would be, he'd have, they'd have a hearing in the, um, in sort of the lower court, but ultimately Julian and I knew that it would end up in the district court because it was such a major major case yeah however i looked in the charge book because we have a duty of care when a prisoner is released from custody into our hands so to speak julian and myself we then convey him to court so he's still in the system he's not free yeah so there's a lot of you know responsibility and I looked at the charge book ex- expecting to see just the most extraordinary charges. Now, bearing in mind, this guy also had a fair bit of cash on him. And I just, I, I, I didn't know what, I just was speechless. Because when I saw the charge, it was relatively minor in terms of the value of the property. And I just thought, and... Julian and I felt quite sick. So you I said do. you said hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, 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 and then in the book, the figure you gave me was three thousand dollars is what they'd itemised it to. A couple of thousand. That's bonkers. But, so but not only that, but not only that, Paul. Yeah. There was no. There was reference to just a few of the the items. So basically, a lot of the items had been taken. Had been well. You know, you can draw your own conclusion. Well, what, I mean, yeah, of course, and I think people are going to be. I mean, obviously, well, of course. So that because what that, that, yeah, the ring. So, yeah. The so ring. not only, not only do they get credit for a for a you know string of jewelry thefts, right? Mm, mm. They so they take the credit for the jewelry thefts, and mm. then somehow between the you know arrest and the courthouse, the you know several hundred thousands worth of dollars well, and cash are kind yeah, of yeah. Well, that just, that would have happened. In the detective's office. Yeah, okay, okay. There's no doubt about it. So what they do is they... I'm hi- hypothesizing, but yeah. with, with a degree of uh, probably 98% um, accuracy, Yeah, is that this is how I imagine it played mm-hmm. out. Um, they take the offender back to the detective's office. They go into an interrogation room. Yeah. Um, there's sweet fuck all reference to 
Julian and myself, we're, we're just shit. We're nothing. We don't rate. These guys, they take all the credit. Um, and they lay everything out as we had done. All the gear. Yeah. Now, they did have a bit of a bit of a rule. Um, I've got to be very... Generally, I'm not that cautious about because I don't really give a shit. Yeah. But let's just say that the the booty is divvied up amongst the staff. Um, yeah, so that's I'll say that. And then they have a little bit of stuff left over. Then they they kind of lower the charge. Um, and yeah, they um, you know they, they divide the spoils. And I found out later on. Um, that a particular detective had taken a particular item, which was the ring. Right. I know that for a fact. Yeah. That, that's that's fact, F-A-C-T. And, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty pretty interesting. I found that out uh, quite a while later huh. about, about one particular person that took one particular item yeah. of extreme value. And... Everything just kind of was just, you know, the cash, whatever. Anyway, he so he, he gets charged with a lesser offence. Everyone's a winner. The guy's a winner. Yeah. The detectives, they're all winners. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're really happy because they're, they're, they're sharing in the, in the spoils. This is, this is kind of A-grade corruption. Um, anyway, Julian and I took the guy over to, uh, to Manly. Of course, he was bailed. Yeah. Because it was such a minor offence. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. yeah. Nice for him. Yeah. And we just... I, in my naivety, um, in fact, in our naivety, Julian and myself, we went to the detective's office that morning. And there were still quite a few Ds working on a Saturday because quite often they come in and, and you, know, you know, work on sort of, you know, other cases. Yeah. And we went into the the senior detective's uh, office. The second we walked into the office, we just sensed that all eyes were burning through us. It was as though, I mean, look, uniform police were not actually, you'd feel a slight air of, of discomfort. Yeah. For lots of reasons. Um, and... It sort of walked the gauntlet, and we explained our little situation to one of the very senior detectives there. And he, inside, he must have just been laughing. And inside, he must have been thinking, "Are you guys for real? Are you actually?" <laughs> he was in shock. Yeah. Because let's face it, Julian and I were not your normal run-of-the-mill general duties police. Believe you me. And to think we had it had aspired to the great office of detective to have seen that um and you know i saw a lot of other things happen before and after and things far far worse than that far worse over time but you know we were told unceremoniously to get the fuck out and he also reminded us that we um we we were the arresting police so we kind of inferred and this was really scary, the inference was, well, how do I know you didn't steal everything? Fuck. So we were fucked every way. 
and it was and I literally walked out of that office backwards. Yeah, that's bonkers. That's yeah. fucking bonkers. And it's it, really heavy. You know what's funny is this episode started with you just gushing over how cool Dirty Harry is, and it ends with you basically having detectives steal from you. So now that's absolutely horrifying. But what a great way to cap out this two-parter. I mean, what? A, oh my god, detective corruption. Mm. That's what did you call it? A-grade corruption. Mm. When I'm sitting here, Paul, telling this story, I can feel my... I can definitely feel that it affects me. Yeah. After almost 40 years, yeah. it makes me, you know, it's pretty bad. It would get the... Adri- yeah, it would get the kind of heart rate pumping. There's nothing worse than having people kind of take advantage of you. And there's also nothing worse than seeing people who you look up to and trust kind of take a big mm. shit on your dreams. So, mm. but, but also in closing, Paul, yes, something that, that I'm asked all the time, in uh-huh. fact, up in... Brisbane, you know how after we did the big presentation on stage, we then went and met up with about 85, you know, there was a common thread through pretty well all the questions that came to us that night. And that was from a police perspective. And it's a, it's a, it happens to me all the time, yeah. almost on a daily basis. Oh yes, but has it changed? And you know, the reality, Paul and listeners mm. and fellow police serving and current, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. think as soon, wherever you've got humans involved, uh, you've got shit, and uh, it's it's just look, it's you know we 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 made sure, Paul, mm. that when we started this process, it's a fact that I didn't take one cent in the New South Wales Police Force. Yes, which I'm very that grateful. Is a fact. Yeah. yeah. No, but I can you imagine? Can you imagine being this far into this whole thing and someone? got in touch and said, oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. No, that never happened. I'm concerned sometimes when I hear police talking about their stories. I'm like, I don't know whether you realise that what you did is kind of on really on that line of not okay. And I think I'm, I, I'm supremely grateful that the skeletons in your closet basically belong to other people. Does that make sense? You, you're yeah, unearthing yeah. stuff, but you kind of got through. I think that's why you... A lot of people, like you said, if you'd stayed in the police force, you would have kind of climbed the ladder, but I think it would have compromised who you are. The fact that you bounced after like five or six years means you, I think, and I think as people will discover, the reason you left is because you kind of had your fill of this stuff. And if you'd stayed any longer, it would have started to really get to you. So I'm very grateful that you didn't. It's ironic that, you know, it's Mother's Day and um, I'm celebrating my dad, but I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really I'm just grateful and relieved every time you tell these stories. So, well, mm. I mean, that was a huge episode, absolutely massive episode, and we really hope you enjoyed it. And, Dad, thank you for the stories. Next week, we're dealing with Chapter 30, which is called Under a Full Moon. So make sure you do your reading class, and we will see you later on this week for Loose Ends. Bye. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.